Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Katie Whipple, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Good to be here. Oh, man. I am super excited. And we had a little bit of tough time getting together, but that was all my bad. So I apologize for well, that. I'm glad you were able also, to do it. No problem. No problem. I was. It was on my end, too. Always difficult to schedule around a sick toddler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you didn't text me just a minute ago for like 10 minutes, I'm like, she must be buried in poop and barf right now. Like, totally. <laughs> a no, mess. I was actually in the garden. So oh, you were? In dirt. Oh, but, so that's not um, so bad. Yeah, no, the, the baby's napping and my wonderful uh, babysitter is with him. So I'm... I um, have this time to to chat with you, which is great. Yeah, yeah, I'm super honored that you're here. So, well, let's start with uh, just getting to know you a little bit. So tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've always, I don't really remember a time where I wasn't painting and making stuff. I mean, I think a lot of um, children, you know, paint and make things, of course, but I, I'm very fortunate. My mother is an artist, a painter. Mm -hmm. So I grew up painting with her. Um, I grew up in Avon, Indiana, like central Indiana. Um, and yeah, I grew I have three brothers and they're all very athletic and um, I was not. Mm -hmm. So while they all did sports and and all that stuff i would draw with my mom pretty much really and um and i just loved it and my parents were really supportive and i you know we would go on family vacations and my dad and brothers would golf and my mom and i would go to art museums and um yeah it's just been it's been part of my life um from the beginning. Yeah, that's amazing. So what about education? When did you start to really take it seriously? Because as you said, most of us kind of tinker around with art as kids, but at some point you must have taken it more seriously. Yeah, I, um, I started taking it pretty seriously pretty early on. I mean, I think since I was encouraged, um, since I was encouraged by my family to uh, to pursue my creative interests, I would, you know, I took like private art lessons after school, starting in middle school or so. And then I would travel around the country with my mom to like take workshops at different places and um and 
you know, go to like portrait society and, and things like that. And how old were you when you first went to the portrait society? Oh, I think I was 17, maybe. Oh, that's amazing. And then these workshops that your mom took you on, were they with some pretty prominent painters? Yeah. Like, um, I took, I painted with Scott Burdick and Susan Lyon when I was like 13. No way. Wow. Which was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. They were amazing. Uh, just so, so generous. Um, yeah, I mean, I would, my mom, it was one of those things where like every now and again, I could convince my mom to take me out of school to join her in the workshop. Um, but it, I, I got, I started getting really serious about it in high school. And that's when I knew I wanted to pursue, I wanted, I wanted to go to art school. And, um, so then I, I kind of, campaign for myself where I was like, I'm going to, if I'm going to get into art school, I need to have a portfolio. So I need to like go to these classes and be able to, you know, make stuff that's not in high school art class. Right. Um, so I was like, I was trying to get exposure to, um, figure drawing and, and stuff like that. Uh, portrait drawing from life, um, to be able to go to art school. So yeah, it was, um, it, I, I'm super lucky. I'm one of those rare cases that whose parents aren't like, no, being an artist is ridiculous. That's, you know, we're not going to support you. They were the total opposite. Like they were all in, which was um, a huge gift and still continues to be a huge gift. So does your mother also paint for a living or is it more of a hobby for her? Um, she, so she was a lawyer. She went to law school and when she was in law school, she started painting at, she says she, it was because she needed a break from reading. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so she started painting and, um, and then she stopped practicing law, um, because she was a full-time mom to us four kids and uh but she would always um she always painted um and still paints and so you know we would all go to bed and she would stay up till two in the morning painting at the kitchen table um mm. and yeah which is you know i only have one and i definitely could not stay up till 2 a.m painting <laughs> So yeah, it's pretty impressive that she yeah, did but you that. have a two-year-old. It changes. It changes. Yeah, but this was when we were like, you know, my we're only there's only five years between my older brother. Oh my, and my gosh! Wow, four kids in five years, and um, so we were all pretty little when she was doing wow. this, and and then she, um my dad put a studio together for her at her parents' house for Christmas one year. So then she would go and paint over at um, my grandparents' house at the house she grew up in. And then she started taking me with her sometimes. And that was like, that started when I was about four that she would take me and do watercolor paintings with me. Wow. So that was always super special. And uh, yeah, so, so she, and, you know, she would sell paintings sometimes and show in like the local community, um, 
you know, there, um, Indiana actually has a, a really rich history of um, landscape painting and um, a lot of different artist groups that have been, uh, you know, consistently organizing shows and different things for like a hundred years or so. Hmm. Um, so there's a really vibrant uh, local community that my mom has been involved in um, my whole life and um, and still participates in. And um, well, I think I think you inter interviewed Stephanie Thompson. Yeah. It, yeah. So um, so she's from the town like over next to where I grew up. Oh, no kidding. But so, is she about your age or, or a little bit younger? She's she's like 10 years younger than me. Yeah. OK, OK. Yeah. So did you but, know her growing up? I only knew her. I I actually met her at Portrait Society for the first time because by the time my mom or she, I was already living in New York. Man, there's something so, in the water in Indiana because she had a similar story. Her mom brought her around, supported her, brought her to the Portrait Society at 17, literally. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And yeah, so my mom paints with Stephanie does like a portrait host a, a portrait painting class like once a week or maybe every other week or something. So my mom paints with Stephanie still um, huh. in her basement. And yeah, it's it's a really it's a and like C.W. Mundy, he's from the Indianapolis area. Um, so, you know, he's somebody whose work I would see growing up, you know, in the state museum and different things like that. And I had, I've, you know, since I, I was probably very young, would watch him demo and different things like that. And then my first oil painting teacher was one of his students. Um, and this was when I was like 12. Really? <laughs> so yeah, it's just, um, it, it, Indianapolis is certainly not top of mind when it comes to thinking of um, representational artist hubs, but it's actually a really, um, it's a really great, great place with a lot of great organizations that have been supporting artists for a long time. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So at what point did you move to New York? So I moved to New York um, right out of high school. I wanted to go to I wanted I wanted to go to art school. I wanted to be an artist, but I mostly was focused on wanting to learn how to draw really well. Mm -hmm. And um, I so when I was in high school looking for next steps, um, we we started looking at different art schools, and I was kind of you know, going to different like portfolio days and things like that. And, um, and as I, I, I've always been a pretty nerdy and interested in academics. So I, I was interested in going to college. Um, but as I looked into more and more art schools, it just didn't seem to make sense to go the university route if I was going to study art. Yeah. So I was like, thinking, okay, well, either I'm going to go to university and study not art, like major in some, something like humanities, or I'm going to go to 
and atelier. And my parents were willing to pay for me to go to an atelier. So I thought, okay, that's, I should take them up on that now because if I go to college and then decide I want to go later, they might not have the same feeling. Yeah. So, um, so I found the Grand Central Atelier, which was Grand Central Academy at the time. And, um, and just, yeah, I, I kind of joke that it was, love at first sight. I walked into their cast hall and was just like, oh, this is, I have to be here. Like, I almost got panicked of like, oh my gosh, I have to be here right now. So then I just tried to do whatever I could to get in. Because um, at that time, they weren't really, there weren't any teenagers going there, I don't think. Now they've had a ton that like, so many young people, so many kids, you know, there's been several students that didn't even finish high school that have just gone <laughs> straight mm, to GCN. Really? No kidding. Um, mm -hmm, yeah. But, but I was on, I wasn't sure if they were going to let me go right out of high school, but, um, but they did. And I, I moved to New York and, uh, and I'm still in New York. <laughs> wow. So what part of New York are you in? Because I'm seeing trees behind you. I'm, I'm originally from Newburgh, New York, which I don't know if you know where that okay. is. It's 50 miles north I of the city. Yeah. I don't know. Well, so I'm in the other direction. I'm on Long I'm in Southampton. Oh, okay. So that's why it looks a little more rural behind you. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, I mean, yes. It's Not rural, but more so than here. You're not in Brooklyn. I mean, right. there, there's, for all that, it's also the Hamptons and everything that people assume with that. There's also a lot of farmland out here, and it is, it's pretty rural. It's nice. Yeah. So I'm always curious when artists stay in New York, you know, because growing up there and my family's still there, and I know how expensive it is, and you're an artist. And isn't your husband Brendan Johnston? Mm -hmm. So he's an artist. Yeah. Yeah. So this is an honest question. Why would you, why do you live in one of the most expensive states when you could live anywhere? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. Um, it's really expensive. And um, I, my answer to that is because I married a New Yorker. He, oh. The farthest away he's willing to get from New York City is um, Long Island. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good answer. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that's kind of joking, but my husband's family is all here. Um, so that, um, you know, that makes a bit of a difference and, um, we weren't, well, we moved to Southampton when I was pregnant with my son, which was during COVID. So, there we were we were already spending most of our time out here my my in-laws live out here so we we're spending most of our time out here anyway because um because i paint flowers and i had a i had a garden at my mm -hmm. in-laws house um you know planting flowers to paint and then my my husband started sculpting and we didn't have the studio space in the city uh, to for him to 
have a painting studio and a sculpture studio. So, um, so we moved out here for that. And I, being from Indiana, was just overwhelmed by the idea of raising kids in the city and, um, and just in general, we kind of, our personalities like, uh, quieter. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, just not so crazy in the city. And yeah, as you, as is obvious from the like trees inside my studio, I like to, to be around greenery. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's very expensive. It seems insane. A lot of the time for sure. We're super lucky. We have, um, a lot of support from our families and we don't rely a hundred percent on painting sales to, um, you know, buy groceries and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, we're very, very extremely privileged in that way. And, um, but the reason why we were in New York for so long is we were both teaching at GCA for a long time. Um, after we graduated. So GCA has moved a lot. Um, when Brendan, my husband studied there too. That's where we're a classic, uh, art school couple. There's a few of those I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you draw next to someone long enough and you can end up married with a child. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, yeah, it is pretty awesome. Um, so anyway, now I'm, now I don't know. Oh yeah. So we, we, um, when Brent and I studied at GCA, uh, it was in Midtown Manhattan. Um, and then after we graduated, it moved to Long Island city, Queens and Brent and I had just gotten married and we're looking for an apartment and um brendan the the new studio was big enough to have studio spaces for uh alumni so brendan's brendan got a studio space in gca and we moved down the street so we could just be in walking distance and then we were both teaching um a couple times a week so it was it was really nice um, and that was for about six years in Queens, maybe even longer, maybe it was seven. Um, and then, and then the pandemic happened and GCA moved to Brooklyn and we moved to Southampton. So that whole situation just kind of disappeared. So, yeah. So you're not teaching there anymore. I'm not, no. Um, no, I'm still really involved. I try to stay involved. Um, but, uh, no, I haven't, I haven't been teaching, teaching went, um, out the window when I had my son. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You're limited on time now. Yeah. So I just, I actually just taught my first workshop since 2019, a couple of weeks ago. Um, in in uh north carolina at alia elbermani's studio mm-hmm. um which was it was so great it was so lovely and fun but oh my gosh i was 
not prepared teaching is so hard <laughs> yeah it can be really exhausting too yeah yeah i was like at, after the first day i was just dead but it was great it was great so hopefully i'll it has made me think like okay maybe i should get back into it a little bit but hmm. yeah but as i i mean i kind of my teaching, I was walking back my teaching at GCA anyway, because I just wasn't painting the figure anymore. And um, I just felt like I couldn't really teach it because yeah. it wasn't, I just wasn't doing it. And it's really hard once you stop, especially when you're like in school and then right after school and you've just been getting all of that model time um, so consistently and then not having it is, um, yeah, it's hard to kind of then like just dip your toe in that world. And yeah, it's not like riding a bike. It's not like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's great. Especially I noticed because when, I mean, you said it was pretty much right out of school, you lost the model time. I remember when I first left school, I took three weeks off for something. I don't know what it was, um, but three weeks off. And I remember coming back and feeling like it took three months to learn how to paint again. I mean, it, as time yeah. goes on, it's less like that. I could take, I took two years to build a van and I was, and I didn't notice it, but that's after 20 years of painting, right? But when you first right. get out of school, it's so it's almost like that knowledge is really fragile and it's just like barely hanging on to your brain cells. And if you, if you don't keep painting, you can just, it just kind of, you know, flies right out your ears or something almost. It feels that way. Yeah. It's making me think of, it's reminding me of that, the first pose back after summer break. Yeah. Um, which would always be like, We'd always be like, how, like this, it's only been like a month <laughs> since we haven't been in the studio. And how is it like, how are we all so bad at drawing now? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's crazy how fast it goes, especially in the beginning. So you mentioned your yeah. son a couple times and I'm really curious how you're managing your schedule now as a mom and a painter. That seems yeah, really well, challenging. I sometimes I feel like it's just we're, you know, as as the father, my wife stays home with our kids, so I feel like I've been really fortunate that I don't have to balance my time or not or not balance my time. What's the right word? I, I don't have to split my time up between childcare and painting. So I'm always amazed and impressed when someone like yourself manages to still produce incredible work with all that extra responsibility. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm incredibly lucky. I have an amazing sitter, um, Taylor Pike, uh, who is, I call her, my son's name is Hewitt. I say, tell her that she's Hewitt's second mom. Um, she's incredibly important um to our family and pretty much the only reason why i get any painting done at all oh, okay. um she she takes care of um she takes care of hewitt five days a week so i'm one of the rare 
cases that I, I think a lot of artists can't, um, you know, have as much help as I have. So I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky. Um, but yeah, I mean, that being said, I did take, I took off, um, I didn't paint for about a year. Cool. Um, was that hard? Um, it, it was interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I stopped painting when I was pregnant, um, with, with my son for a few reasons. Um, and then, and then I was, um, you know, after he was born, of course, was just, I mean, newborn state, the first year is so hard because as the mom, especially you're just, they're just kind of still part of your body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your source of so, nourishment, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, you know, they just need you so much. Um, so yeah, so I took a, a, a break and, um, it was, it was nice actually. It kind of helped me, um, it, 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 it gave me a lot of clarity, I think about, um, what I wanted from, um, my studio practice and hmm. where I wanted my work to go and, and what I wanted it, um, or I guess how I wanted it to be part of my life because before my son was born and before I took that break from painting, I was just, um, I was working so much and was you know trying to participate in as many gallery shows as possible and just take every opportunity i could and um you know all of those all of those things that you're supposed supposed to do mm -hmm. as a young artist and um and i it kind of took having like getting pregnant well and then the pandemic which was like a whole other thing that kind of made everybody reassess mm -hmm. um so that all happening at the same time and i ended up quitting a show that i was i was working on a solo show and i decided to um not go through with that so wow that's a big yeah, decision yeah it was a big decision holy cow yeah yeah but um but the right decision for me for sure for sure um so yeah it was it 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 granted me this rare opportunity that i don't think um we always get you know to just kind of take a break and reassess, especially when you're just kind of on this trajectory where you, I, you know, it's like, okay, well, I just have to keep going. I have to keep making stuff. Like I need to, I need to have a solo show. I need to have this goal, the next goal. Um, 
but in that I was in that mode of just producing and not really realizing that I wasn't really liking the work I was making mm. or enjoying my um enjoying the process or my studio habits because I was working about six or seven days a week just to try to keep up with um, production and um, yeah, it just ended up not being sustainable for me. I'm a really slow painter, so I'm just not able to, um, you know, paint as fast as I think a lot of galleries would, would like me to. Well, I mean, and we'll talk about that when you when we look at your work, but I don't know how your work could be painted quickly. I mean, a lot of that is just what you paint and how you paint. Yeah, it, yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, I just, yeah, it's not, it's not really, I mean, you know, no, you can't really change your pace that you work. Mm -hmm. It just kind of is, it's, like your your handwriting or something it's like i don't it, it's not a choice you really make it's just how it comes out right um yeah and then with with to your point my subject matter it's yeah i have some paintings in my studio in here that i've been working on since i think 2018 just for you know waiting every year for the magnolia to bloom get out of town <laughs> are you serious yeah yeah what no yeah. way so you mm -hmm. it, so you always work from life then you never photograph for flowers for the winter time or anything um i work from i always work from life but then i, I will do i will paint studies um from life and then a lot of my larger painting compositions are um, composed from studies. So the studies are from life, but then uh, some of my, a lot of my works are composed from studies. So not then from life, if that makes sense. So you're painting just from a study, no other reference at all? Um, well, from it, <laughs> I feel like every painting I do has a totally different um, Yeah, I get that. Approach. I, yeah. But um yes, like some you know, studies and life and you know, imagination and I a lot of wow, my Wow, that's surprising. I can't believe that. Okay. All right. I didn't want to go to your work so soon, but let's go to your work here for a minute because this is kind of blowing my mind. This one, it's mind blowing. First of all, you did it all from, you said you did this all from life? That is all from life. That one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's insane. How in the world you say you paint slow. <laughs> I don't get it. Flower painters. I've never really painted flowers, right? And oh, and also, I feel like, do you, have you heard any of my podcasts? And, and don't have, feel bad. Yeah. Don't feel bad if you haven't. Okay. Well, I interviewed Daniel Keyes recently. And as soon as I was done with his interview, I'm like, yeah, that was a lame statement to make. And I said, he and one other artist, I think it was um, Michael Klein, were two of my favorite flower painters. And then I got done with the interview. And I'm like, I got so many other painters that are my favorite flower painters. And you are totally on the top of that list. 
So if you happen oh. to hear that, you oh. are on that list. But I look I at. I would never be offended. Oh, Somebody but I don't. It doesn't matter if you would be. I just wanted you to know that. Um, you know, oh, there's well, Carlo Russo you. and there's a million others that are so good. But like, it's so hard to remember when you're on the spot. Though, oh, totally. The other day, somebody asked me who my favorite contemporary fire painters are, and I was just like, uh, uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, and then, yeah. like, you know, two hours later, I was like, oh, and this person, and this person, but, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Especially when you're when you're being filmed. Yeah, my worst. The the question I hate the most that people ask me is, "Who are your favorite artists?" Because I totally freeze up. Uh, I'm like, I have no idea. It's like I can't remember anything when people ask me that. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I always have. I I have. I always have the ones I'm currently obsessed with for that. I don't know. I I. Get, okay, so I never I asked this question, but now let's go ahead and tell me who you're currently obsessed with. Who is that? Well. I mean, since you have the sunflowers up and the painting is called for Vincent, I'm Vincent. very much in my Vincent Van Gogh face. <laughs> okay, when you when you painted this, were you listening to Don McLean's Vincent? Because <laughs> you should have. I love that song. It's the best song ever. It's, and you should have just had it on loop. So, <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's, yeah, my brothers were actually, when I was painting this, they were like, sending me um versions of themselves singing it yeah um, i free i love that song yeah that that song is so beautiful um yes i i do love that song and i also love american pie yeah um, <laughs> same same but, um but yeah no but i was like when i was painting this i did have like the a book of um, Vincent Sunflower paintings that I was like, look, I was like literally copying the composition and, you know, in obviously like my own. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks just like Vincent Van Gogh. Completely <laughs> spot on. You totally nailed it. <laughs> but you know like the background is like no the it same. is it's clearly inspired by him but on a whole different level oh, it's a whole different animal okay yeah, not so post-impressionist um no my style but yeah and then like right behind me right now i'm my one of my absolute favorite paintings um ever is vincent's almond blossom so i've been working on this like version of it I'm like sitting right in front of it. That yeah, that's not... great. I can't wait to see that finished. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so this has been, um, I've always loved this painting, um, the Almond Blossom painting, and um, it's such a beautiful story behind it. He painted it for um, for Theo and Joanna's uh, son, who they named Vincent after Vincent. and. Mm -hmm. um, and they hung it above his crib. So I've always just, that is the sweetest story. And um, yeah, I just, I, I mean, it's, I guess saying that you love Van Gogh feels like almost cliche these days. Cause yeah. so. <laughs> um, I mean, it doesn't to me, but I, I feel the same way when I say I love Rembrandt. It's like, well, yeah, uh, duh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, of course. But I think, yeah. I don't know as, I I actually don't think Van Gogh is cliche for you because um other I mean I 
I see that I see your influence, but you're not a post-impressionist by any stretch. So the fact that you're influenced by Van Gogh, um, other than the compositional elements, it's actually quite interesting. It's actually, uh, you know, not if someone hadn't seen this exact Van Gogh painting, it would be a surprise. Yeah, yeah, it's it's probably not an it's not an obvious connection um, technique wise, I guess. But um, I my favorite my favorite painters, none of them are probably very obvious when it based on my work. Like I think a lot of people would assume that my favorite painters are like Fantin Latour, and I love Fantan Latour, I revere his work. It's gorgeous, but um but I respond much more to Van Gogh and um and like one one of my very favorite painters is Odilon Redon, symbolist, um again post impressionist. <laughs> um and uh Frangelico, which is like totally other direction early hmm. renaissance um wow but... that is a surprising group <laughs> that's interesting yeah. yeah those are like my big radon and frangelico are like my my mainstays that i go to the most probably for just general inspiration um but Currently, I'm like deep in Van Gogh world, so there's been a lot of Vincent in my life lately. Um, but yeah, I just really it for me. I think I spent so long looking at paintings just for technique um, when I was younger going to museums and then when I was in school and it was, you know, all about academic work and, and, you know, the French 19th century and all of that stuff. And, and then I just, after I got out of school, um, I was really fortunate to be able to spend, um, eight or nine months in Italy with um, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time. <laughs> um, and in Italy, things just like really shifted for me. And it was this beautiful time where I got to just look at a lot of art and not, um, I wasn't produced, I was doing like master copies and and things, but I wasn't, I wasn't producing anything of my own, you know, I was just looking at old masters and like drawing Michelangelo sculptures and, um, and in going to so many museums and seeing so much art over that period, doing a lot more looking than actually making. Um, and then when I was making something, it was just, you know, more looking at another um, artist's work, I started to look for different things um, in the paintings and, and not even, 
I, I, it wasn't even so much about visually responding to them, but just like the feeling that's, that the painting elicited in me as I stood in front of it. Um, so that's, you know, that's how I fell in love with Frangelico, you know, going to um, San Marco in Florence where he lived and worked and did his, did the frescoes. And then they have a small museum with a lot of his um, temper painting. Um, I just like, I totally fell in love with his work and um and it I don't know it just felt like it sounds so cheesy but it just felt like oh I'm seeing an old friend that I haven't mm. seen in a long time and here we are now together in this museum so did and, you feel like he was an old friend because you were familiar with him through books or did is it just because you connected with him somehow in your soul or just, visually yeah, just like a weird, yeah, like soul connection. As like lame as that sounds. No, it doesn't. You know, hearing myself say it. But yeah, just, I don't know, that thing that happens, you know, when you stand in front of a painting. I mean, that's probably why we all became painters, right? Like there's just a thing that you can't put into words, obviously, which is why we paint. Um that happens and it obviously doesn't happen to everybody because not everybody goes to a museum and wants to spend, you know, an hour staring at one painting. <laughs> but for those of us that do. Just the weird artists like us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always tell my husband, that's why I married. Spend eight hours in a museum with me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wasn't super familiar with Brangelico's work. I wasn't, um, I wasn't like big into early Renaissance paintings at all. Um, I didn't grow up Catholic. I, you know, I grew up Quaker. So like the opposite of like, there were no paintings in the church I went to. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know. There's no real explanation for it at all. I'm not, um, I'm not religious at all, but I just, I love those paintings and I think I, it feels kind of similar to me when I look at um, Fra Angelico's work as as looking at Rembrandt's in the sense that you can just feel how much he cared for his subjects and really loved painting. Mm -hmm. And I think Fra Angelico has that in that when you look at his little, you know, there's this beautiful um cor coronation of the virgin in the uffizi and there's like a hundred angels in around this painting and and they're like heads are like so close together and they all have halos and they all of their expressions are totally different they're all like their own little people doing their own thing and they're painted from his head like he's not these are not no these babies aren't sitting for him yeah <laughs> no, no definitely not yeah. so um and i don't know there's something about that where i just feel like oh my gosh like he just like this is so beautiful to me like he just cares so much about this 
um, making this thing. And I, I love that. And I, and it seems probably to, it seems probably crazy that, you know, comparing Frangelico to Van Gogh or, you know, even myself, if that's not too arrogant, but just that, like, and one of the reasons why I love this almond blossom painting by Van Gogh as well is, um, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to see it at the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam several years ago. And standing in front of it in person, I just had that like overwhelming feeling similarly to the Frangelico with the angel face did where I'm looking at this and you know it's it's Van Gogh he probably painted this thing in like an hour he was like totally manic worked so quickly but every single one of the almond blossoms in this painting are totally unique like they're individually observed and mm. every branch is individually observed and the care for the individuality of these flowers and this like gnarled branch and all of that just it really struck me and kind of continues to strike me when I see um Bingo's work in person that like even though the application is so different from what the way I work and the, you know the speed but uh his you know, he's actually very carefully observing things. He's just not rendering them to the degree that, that I, you know, right. or whatever crazy part of my brain likes to paint a thousand tiny petals. <laughs> yeah. And I want to, I want to look at some close ups of those too. So it's interesting to hear you say all this because, um, I, when I was younger and, you know, thought I knew everything about, art and what was good and what wasn't it's funny as you get well maybe you're maybe you didn't have this experience but the the older i get the more i realize i my opinion sucks you know <laughs> and it's gonna it's probably gonna change again in a year but um i remember thinking oh van gogh and, and college and maybe even a little after thinking van gogh he couldn't draw he was not mm -hmm. a great artist because he was not very academic and then he, he had a show it was called uh, van gogh to picasso i think here in utah and um i went to see it and i saw his paintings in person and i was mind blown and i i kind of fought it a little bit when i'm standing in front of some of his paintings I'm like no i'm not allowed to like this because it's academically not terribly strong and then right. but but like it's it's a it, i felt a lot like the way you described when you were in italy it was just moving almost mm -hmm. in a way that you can't put words to and I don't know, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he did it. Um, it's, it's kind of an incredible thing. Yeah, it, it really is. And I, I mean, it, it, it's funny, like the, the artists that everyone knows, right? Like even people that aren't artists, like I think almost everyone in the world probably knows the name go to some degree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and which is pretty astonishing, right? Especially knowing the story of his life. 
Um, but it's not that it's not random, you know, it's not random that we know Van Gogh or Rembrandt or Michelangelo. It's like, they still elicit those emotions in us. Like they have tapped into something incredibly human. Um, and yeah, what a gift. I mean, I just feel mm. so lucky that we, you know, have their work that we can still experience. Mm. Um, so yeah, um, I think there's something there, like to your point, like it's just, there's something indes indescribable about standing in front of artists work that's, that are just expressing, I think, a deep humanity in some way. So you've obviously studied Van Gogh a lot more than I have, and yet we've had similar experiences standing in front of his paintings. And like I said, I feel like I, when I look at them, there's still a part of me that asks, I mean, I still don't understand why. Like, why when I look at Starry Night is it so moving to me? It's just a bunch of swirls and and star, you know, little spots of paint. And... um and I've never been able to define it. I mean, but you've had, you've had a lot of time to think about it. Do you have any insight on that as to what it is about his work that transcends other modernist painters or post-impressionist painters? What makes him special? I mean, I do, I guess my, look, I'm, I, I'm certainly no scholar, but I do No, just think your opinion. That, I just want your opinion. Yeah. Um, I do think that he has an incredible sense of design and he did, he like did really study, um, you know, he, he, he studied art making. So he knew what he was doing. Um, he took big swings and sometimes that he really missed, like some of his paintings are not good, but, so that's true of everyone, right? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Um, but I I think it was at the Morgan Library in New York. There was a drawing show a few years, or longer than if it was probably like 10 years ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but there was, a, there was a Titian drawing in the show. And the, it was a pen and ink. And the pen marks in the Titian drawing were so reminiscent of the mark making in Van Gogh's drawings. And I was there with my husband and I pointed this out and he was like, yeah, Katie, Van Gogh knew what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband actually did study art history, so I do learn a lot from him. Um, but actually, I have this postcard. Sorry, I'm going to be annoying. No, this is great. It's just like on my studio windowsill, but this is a Van Gogh drawing. Really? No joke. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know he could draw that well. Yeah. So he was, yeah, 1884, Pollard Birches. That's beautiful. Um, it's gorgeous. Yeah. He's, um, yeah. So he, you know, I think he had a lot of, um, he had a, a lot of issues and I think a lot of that 
a lot of his mental health issues kind of dictated the direction that some of his work took and like you can feel that manic energy in a lot of it um but no i mean i he he could and i think especially like when you look at his portraits of people sometimes they get start to get really weird and that can kind of you know i think if you've studied more academically make you discredit him a little bit more but um which is exactly what i was doing yeah 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 which is like look it's fair enough like no one has to like every artist no i know <laughs> it's not like a sin i could still not like him and i it's fine but yeah, totally. but yeah totally. but i was converted yeah i think it's it's one of those things where i don't know i feel like when i talk to students that have just finish studying at, at an academy of some kind it's it can it's a really hard transition to make from like four years 40 hours or more like you know, 60 hours of model time a week that's mm. all you're doing is painting the figure and then all of a sudden like you're done with school and now you have to go and make your own work. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's such a jarring transition. And I was incredibly fortunate that I had this like gap year in a sense where I finished studying at GCA. And then right after that, I went to Italy and had this time to just kind of think about the, you know, the academic education I had, and then think about what do I want to do and the chance to look at, you know, such a large time range of representational art making was incredibly um, informative and very fortunate, obviously. I uh, I went to, I went there thinking that I was gonna do like master copies of Caravaggio and Titian. And I always wanted to be, um, I always wanted to be a portrait painter. So I just thought like, hmm. oh, I'm gonna go like, you know, study Titian, like one of the greatest portrait painters of all time. And, um, and, and then, yeah, and then I go and I fall in love with Frangelico, the early Renaissance, and start painting fruit trees in the garden instead of going to work on my, my Raphael copies. <laughs> so what do you think about that? Do you think that you just didn't know who you were at the time or that you changed? I, you... Think, I, I think I changed. I think that, you know, I think creativity is always fluid in that way. Yeah. I don't think, um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's something that when I was in school, I was so focused on learning the language 
learning mm -hmm. technique and all energy and focus kind of just went into in that direction so when i would go to the met it would just be you know well i mean that i i'm saying that i'm like that's not always true i got really obsessed with um the islamic wing at the met when i was in school and hmm. spent a lot of time there. so i guess i've always like been you know kind of all over the place but um but yeah i mean i think that I just realized like, oh, I can, I could spend forever just still only thinking about technique and um, making a technically good painting, or I could try to chase this other thing, whatever this thing is that I'm responding to when I look at when I look at work and, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, and, and going back to earlier in our conversation, I think that taking that year off from painting when, um, when I was pregnant with my son and then after he was born, it kind of brought me back into this space of like, really, I was looking at a lot of, um i was looking at a lot of art um but i wasn't making any and so it kind of like went back in a little bit and um yeah i got really obsessed when i was pregnant with my son i kept watching um the this documentary on andy goldsworthy called rivers and tides you know andy goldsworthy and mm -mm. that He's um, he's a, a a contemporary artist. Like he's is he British or Scottish? I don't. know. He's from the UK, and um, he isn't. He isn't like I don't even know what you would or how he would be described. But he like works with nature. And um, um, like I don't know. It it's just it's so hard to describe. What do you mean? Words. Is he like the but, guy who did the spiral jetty? You mean is he like moving things around in nature? Yes. Oh yes, yeah. He's not so the he's actual like, guy. I don't remember that artist's name. No, he's not oh, that okay. actual guy. But he, yeah, he has he has like an installation. It's the, at Storm King. Oh, um, Storm King know, upstate. Yeah, that's like 20 minutes from where I grew up. Yeah. 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 So he has, there's that like wall that runs through the stone wall. Okay. That's his installation. So he does a bunch of different things. But um, so I became like totally obsessed with him over the course of the pandemic and, and have lately been kind of going back and looking at his stuff again. And yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I feel like this is that like a is totally our. I mean, it seems totally random. The guy yeah. is building walls out in the middle of the Storm King Mountain. But but yeah. I mean, it's great though that your your interests are so diverse. I mean, I find that really refreshing. I think it's just one of the these things where 
you just want to keep yourself open to inspiration because mm -hmm. and it's just fun to see what other artists come up with like I I love Andy Goldsworthy's work so much because it has the that especially like when you watch the documentary because most of his a lot of his work is really about the process of um like building something in nature with nature and um and it just brings you right back to like being a kid and playing in the woods and i grew mm. up in the woods and uh and i like that um you know i i, I kind of i think that's a lot of the root of why I like to paint flowers and trees and um, the mm. subject matter I do is just kind of that going back to nature um, and being inspired and surprised by it. And, um, you know, like I get almost, I mean, obviously not currently, I'm stealing all my painting ideas from Vincent van Gogh, but not <laughs> I hardly. get a lot of <laughs> I get a lot of ideas just walking my dog, you know, like walking through nature and looking at color combinations. I feel like I've been, I, I don't even know if this has been making sense at all. I no, like it's been a great conversation. Are you kidding? You know, one of the things you said earlier, you said that when you went to Grand Central, you were learning the language. And I love that as an analogy because literally just an hour before we got on this podcast, one of my students came in with their cell phone and said, Hey, tell me about this artist. This is, this is a local artist here. That's not making a living, not selling paintings at really at all, but who's academically really strong. And my student was really concerned. They're like, wait a minute, this artist can draw and paint really well. Why aren't they making a living? Oh no, they're freaking out. And, um, mm -hmm. I said, I said, well, what are they, what are they, doing with that talent like are they just painting things to look like things or are they saying something and so when you said um when you said that you were learning the language it's just the analogy that often comes to mind for me is 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 just that that like when you go to art school a good art school like you did you learn the language but then when you leave you can't just rattle off perfect grammar and perfect conjugation and expect people to be impressed and moved, you have to actually say something that people are interested in hearing with that perfect grammar. Yeah, yeah. And I think also just accepting that, like, whatever, you know, story or poem or whatever you want to, whatever analogy you want to come up with, whatever um, you put together with that language that you've learned, like not everybody's going to get it. No. And not everybody's going to like it. But, but it all, but, but you might as well try to like it if you can and yeah. try to have it come from a place that feels, I want to say feels good, which is, accurate i think but also feels true to you um 
Yeah, it's really tough. I always I feel like it's so hard. And I think I started to like go down this thought and then I like went off on a million tangents. But I, you know, when I think about I, I had like started to talk about that transition after school yeah. and what that's like and how challenging it is. Because it is really hard to figure out what you want to paint i mean like mm-hmm. it's hard to figure out what you want to paint like you know what still life setup you want to do you know just like any it's hard to figure out what anything you want to paint let alone like attaching some sort of meaning to it which can get really overwhelming really fast and i think that's where somebody like vincent van gogh is so inspiring because he painted just whatever was available to him at that time, you know, his shoes, his bedroom, his chair, his neighbors, himself, you know, any, everything that he could because he couldn't afford to do anything else. And, but, and, and really the subject matter doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Like the response to those sunflowers is so much more than just like, oh, well, I like sunflowers, so I like that painting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's not what people are drawn to it. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that part of um, that was very eye-opening for me in having spent so much time looking at 19th century academic painting and feeling like oh I can I can look at it for so long and study it and it's so interesting because of the technique but then taking a step back and being like oh but I actually don't really like these paintings like I don't want to make paintings like them right um and then that's how I kind of started to get away from um, you know, painting the figure or portraits because I just felt like I wasn't able to get what that, whatever it is, this feeling that I'm chasing um, in my work, I just wasn't accessible to me through through that subject for whatever reason. So is it possible that when you were young that you just had all this admiration for portrait painters and then, but then you realized, wait a minute, that's not, but then you got older and you left the academy or Grand Central Atelier and you go to Italy and you're like, whoa, yeah, it's impressive, but that's not what moves me. And then you kind of had to face reality that it's just not in you right now, at least to do that. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know. I still like love portrait paintings. I don't, I'm so confusing. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. I, I think part of it too is that it's a lot of pressure to paint a person. And yeah, it is. Putting, you're putting a lot on, like if you're painting an allegory of some kind and you're using a model, like 
I don't know. It's just, that's tough. I'm, I admire people so much that do it. And I love, I mean, my, if you came and came to my house, like it, our entire house is just like portrait and figure and, you know, it's like all of our friends work and, mm -hmm. and it's like the work that we collect and live with it and love. And, um, but yeah, for whatever reason, for me, it just is, I don't know, maybe I'll go back to it. I don't know One of I was having a, I was talking to one of my very good friends from, from art school, um, the other day. And she was, she was like, I can say this to you because I, cause you know, you can trust me because I understand how important painting plants is <laughs> because she she does like a lot of botanical work herself. Uh -huh. and she was like, so when are you gonna start painting people again katie and i was like they're a bird you can't ask me that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know i don't know it's something i get asked a lot and i just um i don't know i guess like any other thing it's like i didn't I don't feel like I chose to be a flower painter. It just kind of happened and it wasn't a plan, but I just started doing it and then got, then got like obsessed with it. And that, you know, was like yeah. a long time ago now. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's probably going to be a lot of other phases um, I mean, hopefully, you know, yeah. hopefully I'll live long enough to have other phases. I just, I just listened to, um, this amazing lecture series on Michelangelo and yeah, I mean, if anything can inspire you to have phases, it, you know, I mean, no pressure. Michelangelo only made the greatest painting, sculpture and architecture of yeah, Western history today. So yeah. You know, whatever, but yeah, I mean, he designed, <laughs> he designed St. Um, designed St. Peter's when he, that's. When he was how old? Pretty, you cut out for a minute. 80s. The dome of St. Peter's. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that all happened in, like, I think starting around age 80. Wow. You know, and I don't remember who it was that said this totally got me down. This artist said that artists peak at around 40 and then they just start going downhill from there. And I was like, I'm 48. That is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. And uh, I remember asking, <laughs> I immediately called up another one of my artist friends who's 60 and being like, oh my gosh, what do you think of this? He goes, ah, that's crazy. He's <laughs> like, if you still wanna be great, you just, you, you can still be great. You know, if, you know, you still have potential. Yeah, even when you're 40. I mean, maybe there was something I hope to so. that before like people started living longer or were able maybe. to like get good glasses prescriptions or something. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, Michelangelo, that's so hopeful. He 80 80 years old and he probably didn't have great glasses. <laughs> I mean, when it's really astonishing like his what he created in his life and you think like okay, he made the Pieta at 21. And then, you know, I think he painted 
he painted the Sistine ceiling in his 30s, but then the um, the Last Judgment was like 40 years later. I think he, he Man, was- Man, you know a lot state. about him. This is good. <laughs> well, I just listened to this. Oh, you did. I should actually have better recall on the dates, <laughs> but yeah, I listened to this literally last week. Um, it's really good. It's a great-, great What is course. the name of it? Oh, um, one of the great it, courses. Uh huh. Okay, a great courses series, and I think it was—I think it was called *The Genius of Michelangelo*. Okay, I'm definitely looking that up. Yeah, it's really, really good. It's a fun listen. I mean, it—I listen to like audiobooks and um, lectures and podcasts and everything while I paint. Um, and so it was an excellent listen, but he is giving the lecture alongside of slides and you can't see the slides in the audio version obviously so i had to do a lot of pausing and like looking up images of stuff um along the along the way but it was so good highly recommend it too okay yeah i'm definitely gonna look that up i mean and titian lived to be 90 like i mean even rembrandt didn't I mean, he he died in his 60s, right? But his late work, I mean, everybody. <laughs> You're going to say everyone thinks it's better, right? Everybody loves late work. <laughs> I, I like his earlier work. I'm like the odd man out. I like his earlier work, but. Well, of course. I mean, yeah. it's, look, it's Rembrandt. It's yeah. not. I mean, I like it all. I like it all. But yeah, his his earlier work is the stuff that I've studied and studied. It's just, I don't know appeals to me for some reason but you know why i keep poking and prodding you on this whole how you you know found your voice topic is because every time i interview somebody and it hasn't just started with the podcast but it's always been this way but whenever i and like when when i'm done with this interview i'm gonna want to be katie whipple Right. And then the last interview, I wanted to be that artist. And the last interview before Mm -hmm. that, I wanted to be that artist because every the I mean, you guys are people I admire and your work is so incredible. And I, it's just t- to be able to do what you do the way you do it is so interesting. But yet when I get back to the easel, I just keep doing me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why I was asking you about that whole thing about being wanting to be a portrait painter as a teenager and then ending up falling into flowers. I just wonder if you're kind of having a similar experience where it's like, yeah, I love portrait painting. But when I go to the easel, I end up picking up a flower. You know, is yeah. that is that a yeah, similar experience 100%. that I'm having? Okay, I, I have the ex- exact same experience constantly. Like every time I start a new painting, I'm like, "This one's gonna be a Kathleen Speranza." I'm like, "This is when I'm gonna do it." Like, I'm gonna get Kathy's like a. You're gonna channel her. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's gonna come out like the that and i actually have i have um a couple of her paintings in my studio um like in progress because i'm like i'm like they're gonna like they're gonna get in here and i've taken classes with her and yeah and then i and then they, they, it's a Katie Wibble that comes out. Not a Kelly <laughs> and I'm just talking about, I would be thrilled to be a Katie Wibble, but have these like ethereal, like dreamy <laughs> paintings, and then and then I'm just like, no, I'm not. Like they're just gonna keep coming out the way they do. I only 
Like, <laughs> so, I've never met a soft line in my life. Like, everything is hard. There's no, like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all sort of weird and tortured that way. But Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think I used to be more tortured about it. Like, I used to, it used to bother me more that, like, yeah. I, especially like in school and stuff when I would be like, oh, why, why can't my, you know, I was in, I went to GCA at the same time as Colleen Berry and Will St. John. Okay. So by yeah. the time they're, they're incredible. Finished, yeah, they're incredible. And they were incredible students too. So they were, when I started in my first year, they were in their third year. So which I is another couple, by the way. <laughs> another couple, another yep. GCA couple. There are a lot of us. Um, so they, I had two overlapping years with them. So in my, you know, I'm like, okay, by the time I finish, my figure paintings are going to look like Will St. John and Colleen Berry's. They did not, never. Well, see, here's your problem. Us. You were trying, you were shooting two different directions at the same time. <laughs> there was no way you could win that one. Yeah, but you know, and then it's like, okay, well, I just, you know, have to accept that. I, I, and that came pretty quickly when I was like, well, I'm just never going to study anatomy as, as hard as Colleen does and did. Mm -hmm. So that's just not in the cards for me. <laughs> just not that interested. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I'm like, pouring over books about botany, like things that are probably a million times more boring that I find fascinating. Really? So, yeah. That's it's such a blessing though, that you, that you zeroed in. Cause I mean, like I was saying about that artist that um, my student brought in many, many of us really struggle to zero in on what it is we're supposed to paint or what it is that we're excited about painting. So it's a, it's cool that you found something. Yeah, I feel extremely lucky that, well, one, it's easy because it's a readily available and accessible subject matter. Um, so that's, that's nice, you know? Yeah, but it's not easy because it's a readily, it might be readily available, but it also is, dies in like 10 minutes. <laughs> Oh, well, we haven't gotten to the part of the interview where my actual job is that I'm just a flower wrangler. And I yeah, that's what I want to talk about. That's a possible I... way to keep a flower. <laughs> yeah, it is. There is nothing easy about the way you paint flowers. So there are some people that paint flowers quick and dirty, like I'm in really well, but it's like, get it done. It's, it's 10 or 15 brushstrokes. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, maybe more yeah. than that. But, but the way you paint flowers like okay let's go let this is a good segue thing. let's go back to your this one okay what the heck how in the world do you paint these flowers so detailed from life and imagination and studies i don't understand it it makes my mind cramp well so luckily sunflowers are great because they last forever and oh they, they do they last a really long time. Okay, what's a long time? Um, like three weeks. Oh, that is a long time. But I keep them in the fridge, so that's part of the trick. 
So here's okay. Let me let me. This is good. Serious business. (laughs) So keeping flowers alive. Now this is something that I actually have expertise in. So if you are a flower painter out there, and of course, like I'm, keep forgetting that this is a podcast. So sorry if I. Sorry to my husband and child if I've embarrassed myself already, but. um, Oh, this is a great podcast. Okay. So keeping flowers alive. First thing you want to keep them in the fridge. Almost every flower. I'm sure there are some that don't like to be kept cold, but pretty much every flower that I can think of, you want to keep in the fridge when you're not painting it and it will last way longer. And it doesn't droop and um, stuff as quickly if it's a cold. Right, right. So it so you know how when you go to a florist, they have like yeah. all the flowers in a refrigerator. Same thing. So I have um I have a refrigerator in my studio right behind me. And Okay, show us the fridge. I'm go- curious if it's just a standard fridge or what. So it's it's like it's funny because it sorry, I have to move my easel. Okay. Um um it I'm gonna see how my studio. It's a smeg. Oh, you is it a vintage one? Like a kind of vintage looking fridge? Yeah, it like looks vintage and it's bright green. But it Oh, yeah. that's way oh, cool. That's a sweet fridge. But it was it was here. I can't take any credit for it. It was here when we bought this house. So okay. My, my studio is like is a pool house. It's really small. Like this is the whole thing that you're seeing right now. So I had to move the easel so you could see the fridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so that's that's my fridge. But it's it's a, one of the really basic, even though it looks cool. It's just one of the fridges that has like dial on it. Okay. Um, so I just keep it on the lowest setting. That's so kind of like a cooler. It doesn't get super cold. So what is and that like 50 degrees or something? I don't know. Cause it's just one of, it's like lit, like, you know how like, um, it's, so it's just one of these refrigerators that stays cold because there's a little freezer part that freezes and then it cools the rest of the fridge. Like oh, a drink okay. cooler. Yeah. So that's what I had in my old studio. This came like, as I said, this was here, which worked out really nicely for me. Yeah. Um, but I had in my studio in New York, I just had like a, you know, $99, um, Amazon cooler that really, um, I kept flowers in. So, which is great. Like you don't need anything fancy. Like one of like a cheap, beer fridge is perfect hmm. and you can just throw everything in there the other really important thing is flower food so um i can get some of that too yeah this is all really cool stuff so this you can get it at um like you can get it on amazon or you can get it you know at your local garden center or whatever but this flora life, it's like what comes like when you buy grocery store flowers, the little packets of flower food, mm-hmm. it's this, like this okay. is just a big container of it. And, um, 
so you want to put this in the water with the flowers which basically it's like sugar and and antibacterial so the water doesn't get disgusting and moldy which will keep your flowers alive longer and then you just want to um cut the stems and change the water every couple days just like what uh, like a quarter of an inch off or how yeah, much do you have just, to cut it yeah an inch or you know depend i guess it depends on how big um because I mean, if you flower. cut them all the time, you're going to end up with nothing but a flower, right? Right, 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 right. So yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, not a lot. Just okay. you just need a fresh cut to so the um, stems can uptake the water. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah that's and then good there's stuff. All sorts of weird, weird things for like different kinds of flowers, like poppies. You have to like scald the ends of them, either burn them with like actual fire or you can like dip them in boiling water but you have to stop the sap from coming out no um, kidding so you have to, like cauterize the ends so then it can take up water who discovers so this stuff i always want <laughs> there's so many facts out there where you just wonder how people ever discovered it i know right that is one of those that's like really bizarre yeah um yeah, but there's a lot of, I mean, I learned a lot of this. I learned basically everything for how to take care of flowers from florists. I've hmm. been lucky to um, to make some florist friends since I've been painting flowers for the last several years. But, um, but also just like, I just became really friendly with my local florist in um, Long Island City when we were living, when we were living in Queens. And so they would just like help me out with all this stuff. They'd give me tips and tell me like, they would tell me how to cut the stems of the different flowers and like, you know, with branches, you want to like cut the, you, you want to cut the stem and that like normally, like you would cut a stem, but then you also want to cut it like vertically as well. Oh, so more water will get up into the fibers. Um, yeah, wow, there are all sorts good of stuff. things. And then I do all, you know, with like sunflowers are easy. You don't have to do too much wrangling is what I call it usually <laughs> of like trying to keep them in the same position. But with like a tulip or something, you know, they move so fast, the petals. So if I'm painting tulips, like I will pretty much always tie a string around the outside so it stays closed mm -hmm. um, so then that'll keep it in place for longer and then tulips also are really annoying because they're one of the few flowers that continues to grow as they um yeah those are magnolias that's another See, thing i don't that... know my flowers so i just got the closest <laughs> thing i could find <laughs> well they are tulip magnolias so it does oh, okay, make okay. sense um, but yeah, magnolias are similar in that they move really, really fast. So those, for example, like before I start painting those, mm -hmm. I have the thin wool string and I'll tie it around the outside You're so kidding. they won't open time to paint them closed. No kidding. And then I use like a whole setup of like wires and stuff to... Um, 
What? Like, no <laughs> way. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'll, like, take, I will, um, like, this is just a copper wire from the hardware store, but I will, like, a lot of times with different flowers, um, like, with poppies um, are a really good example because they are, they're super challenging. They move really fast. So pretty much every time before I start painting a poppy, I will set up this whole wire concoction where I'll like put, I'll make these wire loops and then I'll put it underneath the petal and tape it to the stem. You tape the petal? I tape the wire to the Oh, the, the wire stem. to the stem, right, right, right. And you support I the pedal. The loop, the loop supports the pedal. So I can get it. That's insane. Flower petals around my studio. But like, you know, okay, here's a glove. So like, imagine this is the pedal. Yeah. Right? So I will like put it like that. So it will like give it shape. This is like not a good Do you think there's a history of this or, I mean, are you kind of, did you invent a lot of these techniques or are you borrowing from I, the past or what? I'm sure that the Dutch guys had, because I don't, I look at those old Dutch flower paintings, which I love. And again, something that hasn't been mentioned that would probably be an obvious source of inspiration for me. Um, but I look at those paintings, like the Van Hoysum mm -hmm. and Rachel Royce and things, and I'm like, I don't know how they did that because it's like a, it's way beyond my level of detail. Um, but I think they must have had something that, something like crazy, like I'm doing, because there's just no other way to, to do it. Because they, yeah, they. They just move too fast and die too quickly. Um, huh. So Carlo Russo, I interviewed him, and he's really into the Dutch flower painters. Yeah, and he's he amazing. He is. He's amazing. Um, he, but he didn't mention doing anything like this. I wonder. I'm going to send him a note and make sure he watches this. He might be doing it and just not telling me. I've been curious, actually. I. Yeah, because his his paintings are so beautiful, and I've. And tight. Looking, looking at his work, and I'm just like, wow, how does he do that with these? Because I've painted these different kinds of flowers that he has, and I'm like, it's really impressive the level of specificity he gets um, with how challenging it is yeah. to do that. Yeah, it's it. I would be very curious about that as well. But yeah, I've come up with, I I feel like some of it I've learned, like the wool string mm -hmm. thing I learned from reading. Uh, I, I feel like what this interview is mostly um, exposing is what a nerd I am. But um, <laughs> there's, this, there's this great book <laughs> called The Tulip. And it's like, it's uh -huh. uh, essentially a biography of tulips because they have such an interesting history with the, you know, Dutch tulip trade and everything. But um, I learned, that's where I learned the wool string from because in tulip shows, like tulip exhibitions, they used to tie them up so they would stay closed. And then right as the judging happened, they would take the 
high off of them. Hmm. Um, Is there something so significant like, about oh. wool? Um, it's a little more flexible and like easy to. Oh, okay. It doesn't. It like holds onto the flower a little bit better. Like if you try to use like synthetic string or something. Oh, okay. Um, it will just like slip off of the flower. Just just makes your life annoying but like you you could use anything like probably like dental floss would be really good like something that's waxy um but no you just want something thin um to so it doesn't disrupt the form so i bet you're a great knot tire too then i mean just basic knots no i oh, don't really like, <laughs> i don't have any good skill no they're just the just the basic like shoelace knot. Oh, okay. Um, I figure it'd be really hard to yeah. tie a knot and have it so gently wrap around the flower without squeezing it too tight or being too loose or. Well, that's what's nice. They think about the wool too, is that you can kind of like, it's like stretchy, right? Oh, it so is. It has a little bit of give. So it's, you, you have like, you know, you can either tighten it more or stretch it out a bit. Um, but yeah, I do think like the wire stuff is probably something that I came up with on my own. It is like, such a great idea. It's stuff. brilliant. You can also tape it to your tabaret or whatever your you know your setup. So you can like tape. I've I've done that before too, where I'll tape like the wire to just the table and then have it like holding up a petal that's drooping or whatever. So yeah. yeah, so my setups generally look crazy compared to my paintings. Like I don't usually So there are wires like, the and strings everywhere. Wires and strings everywhere. Like you know with um that painting that's right next to my son, the picture of my son. Like that, that painting, those were all taped to my studio wall. Wait, there's another version of that though. Where is it? Is it down here further? Cause there's yeah, one where it's the one. whole, the whole image. Yeah. All right here. Know. Is this it? That's a different one, but that's okay. the same exact thing. That's all of that was taped to my studio wall. <laughs> yeah. That is freaking cool. So it didn't, or like staples. And it or... really didn't die? I mean, even with all the tape so and... So with those, I would put, um, you know, floral tubes. Like, um, I have some of those too. This okay, is this is the best. I'm loving this. Also showing off my great outfit of sweatpants um <laughs> at least you have pants so on like, you don't have the COVID outfit uh floral tubes well I had I had overalls on that were covered in dirt so I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I would so when I'm doing something like those garlands yeah. I, and like you know taping them to my wall because I want that shape um but I need to keep the flowers alive i use floral tubes so so they're all over the place in there yeah so you can get so these just pop right onto the stem and then oh, you that's can, too cool so when i do like some of my other work where that i've been kind of into lately are, are kind of floating flowers without 
stems or kind of compositions mm -hmm. um, of flowers without stems. A lot of it, I use the floral tubes and then I'll, I'll hang the flowers from different angles to get the desired effect. Um, but yeah, freeze, freeze me up. Yeah. So that one, a lot of those were like, you know, hanging upside down from my easel and stuff as I was painting them. No kidding. So in this, yeah. in this case, you're piecing it together though. I mean, there's no need totally. for you to do, to do them all at once. Right? No. So, yeah. So that's probably the most important part of my process in terms of getting them to look like they do is that I'm never painting them all at once. I'm painting one flower at a time always. So how do you know the composition is going to work out? Is that where the study comes in? Yeah. So I've learned the hard way. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to do some larger pieces, just piecing them together without a solid plan. Yeah. Then I back myself into some corners, but um, no, it's definitely not the most efficient way to paint for sure. But um, yeah, I tend, so I will, I approach things in a lot of different ways, as I've said, you know, depending on the subject, that painting of the poppies, um, that was, uh, it had a few iterations, but that one, I had a general plan. So it's, that painting is five feet by two feet. No joke. That's and big. It was originally supposed to be a diptych. And actually this is the second, this is the other panel for that poppy painting. It was supposed to be two panels and, um, and I've just had this panel sitting, um, wow. Studio since 2020, but, um, and decided to just do the almonds on it. Um, because I was working on that. I started working on that poppy painting in January of 2020 and, um, and then the pandemic happened and all the flower markets shut down. So I wasn't able to get poppies. Um, so hmm. I ended up having to finish that painting from studies from another painting that I had done. Really? And no kidding. Ended up ditching the idea of the diptych because I knew I wasn't going to be able to get more poppies to paint. Um, and so then the composition ended up changing on that one a bit, but, but what I do with larger works usually is, um, I will do some kind of cartoon, like a, a two scale drawing at least, and usually some kind of color study at scale. Um, is it from imagination at that point or do you set up? Yeah. Okay. Imagination. Yeah. So I generally, you know, they're very rough. It doesn't, you know, they're not, they're nothing that anybody would want or keep right it's just, just color like a, composition very basic like the poppies are just like blobs of color mm -hmm. uh, but yeah just kind of trying to work things out and i just make like basic shapes of the, like you know the you know this is an idea for a shape of the flower and then once i get the actual flowers i 
you know, it changes, but, um, but yeah, I, I, now I always do something to scale before I start. The exception would be like the sunflower painting or this almond blossom painting because I'm basing it on the Van Gogh paintings. I like, I didn't do a compositional, um, I didn't plan it out. Right. Van Gogh did. I, <laughs> I already know that they yeah. work. So I, <laughs> yeah. even though this, this one's a different, is actually a totally different, um, uh, proportion oh is it but yeah because that the his almond blossom painting is more square Mm. but um but i had this panel and it was already blue and i was like gonna do it do it on this one (laughs) yeah i can't wait to see that one so i want to look at some of your details because one of the things that i love about your work is your impasto work the way you build up paint to suggest petals and um, I, I mean, you do it on everything, but one of the things that really stands out on is your sunflowers. And I mean, could yeah, you talk so a little fun. bit about that? I mean, okay, well, let me ask you a question. This is one of the thoughts that comes to mind because oftentimes, um, and I've been known to do this myself, particularly when I was first learning to paint, where I'm like, almost out of laziness you you know it's like oh this is a dirty the ground is dirt right here so i'm just going to pile on a bunch of texture and 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 everyone's just going to understand that it's textured ground right yours Mm -hmm. seems to go much further than that it's not this ambiguous loose representation of petals with the texture you're really exploiting little the edges of a brush mark and so on to create the edge of a petal. Can you talk a little bit about that? How you came across that? I mean, how that's evolved? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, um, it's definitely just based in the academic, um, teaching of building up the lights to be more opaque and letting the shadows be more transparent. Um, but with the, one of the challenges, probably the biggest challenge of flower painting and not so much with these sunflowers, but the, the value range is so narrow most of the time, um, because the shadows on a transparent object are just not very dark. So with so flowers are so close in value they're so compressed that you know you kind of well it's just making it it easier on yourself to utilize every tool at your disposal with your materials so i yeah i just basically i mean it's kind of in a way exactly what you were saying like with building up a bunch of um, impasto on a ground to make it feel like, like there's stuff going on. I mean, it's similar to that where I'm just like, I want, um, I want those light petals to physically pick up more light. Um, you know, if I like build up the paint 
on on those pedals and especially like on the edges it'll pick up the light and give me like an extra um uh an extra um what am i what's the word i'm looking for like the illusion of illusion of light I mean, it, yeah okay yeah like I, it's expanding my value range right, like right. even more because the lights actually sit like you know i'm using the light to give me a highlight right um and then in and yeah you can just describe more form um with you know hmm. if i if i don't want to use a big value range but i can use you know some texture i can describe how this pedal is turning without having to change value um just with some with texture so it's yeah it, it is actually a lot of it is just thinking of like that just that um visual shortcut a little bit um because it's hard again that's like what one of the things that's so impressive about Carlo Russo's work is that his, um, he doesn't have a lot of impasto. No, his are very and flat. It's, yeah. it's so amazing how much, um, dimension he gets without, um, building up the paint. Yeah. Um, I actually own a couple of his and I remember when he shipped one to me being shocked on how smooth the painting was. Because I just, yeah. you, I just assume there had with that kind of form, you must be painting with impasto. But no, he's doing it very, very thin, very smooth. It's I beautiful it's so work, beautiful. though. But it's also beautiful with impasto, I and mean, it just goes to show there's so many ways to do this right. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, and I, you know, I like, I like texture. I, I think it's one of the things that's fun about oil paint you know mm -hmm. that you have there's such a range you can get but especially with something like these sunflowers i don't know um it just makes it so much easier to paint if like with those little tiny petals i'm just basically making them with thicker and thinner brush strokes and not you know yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, I can see. Okay, so you know, I can see that here maybe a little bit where it's like you're not. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I could here. It looks like you could almost get away with not carefully, really carefully observing the flower and just just kind of improvising on the general character of that region of the flower instead of mm -hmm. like studying every last little tiny petal, right? But then. So that, yeah, that might be a shortcut here. Uh, I, I could believe that. I don't believe that here. That I feel like your use yeah. of impasto here is very, very, uh, what's the word? Um, very deliberate, very precise, and very calculated. It's, it's not a shortcut in my mind. Yeah, I get, yeah, you're right. I will give you that. <laughs> okay, I'm just, oh, good. <laughs> With the more, with those centers, I obviously like am not observing every single one of those thousands of petals and painting each one. But um, yeah, like kind of looking for the overall effect in groups and then like 
you know, trying to pick out the areas that have like a little bit more interesting thing mm -hmm. going on and trying to get that. And then, yeah, let like the rest kind of visually fill in. But yeah, with the, with the darker one, um, yeah, that one was really, that flower was really hard to paint. It gave me a lot of <laughs> trouble. I think I spent four or five days painting that one flower. Yeah, you can't um, fake that. Because like, if you just sort of improvise on a few of these petals, the rest of it's going to fall apart, I would think. Yeah, and it was starting to die on me. So then like they started, those petals were like wilting a bit. Oh, and... no. I was just going, I was going a bit crazy. So that is one, that flower. And actually like it turned out like in the overall painting, I, I'm, I'm fine with how it turned out, but I was like, when at the end of the week, when I painted that, I was like, well, that's as good as it's going to get. Like really? I just have to give up. Like now it's just that good. That's why I feel like every now. painting is for me. Oh, that's all yeah, I can do. I don't know how I'll make it better. Yeah. But you know, every now and again, you have one of those days where you're like, okay, I feel like pretty good. About that's true. That, that's or... true. Yeah. But, yeah I, well, I think that's was... a home run. I think it's a home run. I don't think that's just a, oh, that'll have to do painting at all. It's a, it looks like a home run to me. So, but Thank I, you. I get it. Kind of I get it when you're there yeah, in front of the I mean, flower. Sometimes it's just, sometimes it, I don't know, like even with these little almond blossoms, which don't take me four days to paint one, obviously they're small and go much more quickly than the big mm -hmm. sunflowers. But, you know, the other day I spent a whole day painting one of them and mm -hmm. they're this big. They are like really? an inch around. Whoa, so, whoa, whoa. Okay, do we have details of this? This is good. Show, do you the, have a detail um, this, of any of these? Um, oh, well, like that would be an example. If that's right not here? that first one. Yeah, that's not an almond blossom. That's a, a peach blossom, but it, essentially it's comparable. the same thing. Yeah, that, that was one day of, one full day of painting those two little flowers. And about how yeah. big? What's the scale of this thing? Hmm. They are, yeah, maybe like this big. Wow. That's so great. I'm so glad you shared that because sometimes I think, because um, I'm with you, there are times where the smallest things take the longest and they seem to take forever. And, but I remember when I was learning to paint, feeling like a true master must just kind of pull this out of thin air like it just happens it just flows out of their genius off the tips of their fingers and it, it's it doesn't take any time or effort at all and then um and then to hear from someone who i perceive as a master yourself saying yeah no these things take time it's refreshing oh yeah 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 no i'm very slow i yeah my paintings take me a long time to make and um no, I don't think any of those sunflowers, um, because those are big. I mean, those sunflowers are like bigger than my head. No kidding. Um, that painting is three feet tall by two feet wide. Um, wow. So they're very large. And I, I didn't paint any of those in one day. That All of those took more than one day to paint. Wow. Um, that painting took me oh, a long one. time. 
and then the the leaves and because I painted the leaves at the end um I repainted those that group of leaves like four times man you know and that was a, did you that was another one where I was like okay it's as good as it's gonna get because I really can't these again I love yeah. the temperature variation in the leaves, man, because I know we, we've mm -hmm. all seen this. You've clearly got some windows in your studio. They're putting some really cool highlights on here. It feels so yeah, naturalistic. That, I painted that in my husband's studio, which has beautiful um, north skylights. Yeah, man, it, of, you, you nailed yeah. it because it, it looks that way. And then I love this. That's so mm -hmm. great that you credited Vincent. <laughs> Van Gogh and they, yeah. right, right in the painting. It's awesome. Love that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I had to. I was like, it just felt like you know, I couldn't, I couldn't not put him in there, and and that's you know where he signed it in his painting on the base. So yeah, but you know, there's, there's lots of artists that are much more influenced by other artists. And because yours is so different than his, you could have easily not even told people or you could have easily not credited him. So I just find it pretty cool that you did that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's just nice. I don't know. I like the dialogue of. I feel like a, I, I like the idea of kind of making paintings for the artists that I admire, you know, it's nice to pay um homage sometimes yeah yeah so all right so this one another comment i wanted to make about your work which is kind of related to the last one because you're painting impasto um relates to something i heard in college which i've said before on the podcast so i apologize for being redundant here but one of my teachers said to me once that your painting should look good from three inches away three feet away and 30 feet away and mm, mm -hmm. and i totally i've a i absolutely 100 agree with that to this day it's been 20 years since i've heard it and the paintings that really move me not to move me the paintings that really keep me standing there and looking for a long time at them are the ones where they blow your mind when you're walking up to them and then as you get closer you just continue to be surprised and then you get right up next to them and you're inches away and the paint itself is beautiful and yeah. that's what I see when I look at these flowers. Like it's, oh, it's not you. just a flower. The paint is beautiful. You've made the paint itself beautiful. Thank you. That, that means a lot. Thank you so much. I, I do think that's something that that's one of the things that attracts me to the paintings that I really love is mm -hmm that feeling like oh the artist likes to paint like they yeah. just they like to paint and so is that what you mean when you said earlier they like to paint is that what you were seeing that they seem to love the actual physical the process process yeah or yeah. the actual the yeah. the paint itself in a way yeah yeah i think that i'm really attracted to color and and yeah, I just think I think I think it comes through. Like I think it comes through when you're enjoying the material. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I don't know, but thank you. That means a lot because it is something that I don't know. I just I feel like the best part of my painting day is just getting out my palette and laying out all the colors, you know, every day. And it's just like, oh, my friends, they're all here. <laughs> yeah, and the smells, the smells of paint. Most of them are terribly toxic and poisonous, but God, they're good. I know. I've had to. I'm not working with any um, heavy metal paints. Oh, you're not currently since since my well, it was a hard it was oh because of loss. your son since yeah. I got pregnant I then I've weaned off of all of the toxic stuff but I'll be yeah. back I'll be back one day yeah for me it's the retouch varnish I don't know what it is about it but like I'll spray a painting and there'll be a cloud in front of the painting and I know I'm supposed to back up but I just go right toward it <laughs> it just smells so good. <laughs> I'm like, wait, that's poisonous. I, mean, I should probably get out pregnant, of the cloud. You're probably fine. We'll we'll wrap this up. I'm just gonna ask you one more question. But I wanted to say because we didn't get to look at a ton of your work, um, that your website is kgwhipple.com and your Instagram is yeah. Katie G Whipple. That's W-H-I-P-P-L-E. Um, That's it. So uh, people need to go check it out. And I also wanted to give you one more compliment in that the, the oh. direction your work is going right now is is amazing. The, the color that you're starting to put into your work is so oh, beautiful. It's always been good, but I just love these brilliant colors that you're working with right now. Um, Thank you. It's It's been so fun. It, it's funny how like, you know, it took me maybe like five years of being out of school to realize I didn't have to start every painting with burnt umber. I was like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. painting. I'm not painting people that are just various shades of brown and pink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I'm glad you discovered it. I mean, again, your other, your <laughs> other work is great, too, but I love color. And this is the stuff that really speaks to me this beautiful color yeah i love the color in your work as well it's, thank you it's so inspiring thank you well my final question for you is this what advice would you give an aspiring young artist um advice for aspiring artists i think okay two parts advice for artists that are in the atelier system and coming out of it and feeling confused mm -hmm. or just like what the heck do i do um my advice for, for for them is just like just keep looking look at as much art as you can and then once you've looked at enough then just go into your studio and make make work and whatever comes out will be informed by all of those things that you've looked at and just don't worry too much about it. It doesn't have to be profound or anything um, super important because it's, it's yours and that perspective is inherently interesting. And I think, I guess that would be my advice for any aspiring artist or creative person in general is that the world needs beautiful things and we all will benefit from the beautiful things you create. So hmm. don't 
stop yourself from making them because you don't think you're good enough or you think it's a waste of time or you think there are more important things to be doing because there will always be something more important to be doing, but honoring our creativity is one of the best ways to um, share our humanity and find our find humanity in others. That's great. I really appreciate that. That's really good advice and very inspiring. So. Thanks a ton, Katie, for doing the podcast. It's been really fun to get yeah. to know you. It's been so fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for letting me ramble about, you know, all of my nerdy things. And thank you for inviting this special guest here. At the yeah, end it's my pleasure. My pleasure to have both of you. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.